This is Live from the Table, the official podcast of New York's world-famous Comedy Cellar, coming at you on Sirius XM 99, Dog, And on the Laugh Button Podcast Network, Dan Natterman here coming at you. Uh, from the studio, we have with us Noam Dorman, owner of the world-famous Comedy Cellar. Perry Alashin Brand is with us. She's our producer. And we have uh, noted comedian and impersonator, and most notably Trump impersonator, Bob DeBono, Bobby D. Hey, thanks for having me, buddy. Um, so, um, <clears throat> Bob, uh, if we can get first of all, Noam, by the way, thank you. Noam sent out an email regarding my novel to all the comedy seller mailing list people, which I guess has got to be a million people now. No, it's over 100,000, though. Oh, that's I thought it was like a million. Anyway, I've gotten about I've sold about 40 books as a result of that email as best as I can calculate it. That's pretty. That's significant. So that seems like a pretty good uh, ratio. And I don't know how many people actually open the email. So, you know, in terms of calculating the other, I can tell you how many people opened it. We sent out two emails, one for your book and one for like just our regular shows. And we got more people opened your email than the shows. Actually, it was close, but more people opened your email. Well, thank you uh, again for that. And, And of course, my my novel, Iris Spiro Before COVID, is available on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com, too, I guess. I don't know I how. I your book, Dan. What's that? Because I'm reading your book, and I can't put it down. I mean, I, I fall asleep because I'm tired when I read, but that, that, I do that with anything. I fall asleep to Tolstoy. It's not, not a reflection on you. But um, I'm really anxious every night to go continue reading it. But my question is this. I was reading it on Kindle, and it's free. Like it's part of the Kindle, like if you're if you're a Kindle member or something. Right. So how, do get, how do you get paid when they give it away for free like that? Uh, that's an interesting question. They 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 do it by page. You know, believe it or not, when you read on Kindle, Amazon knows how many pages you read. They know every time you turn the page on a Kindle, it go, that information goes to Amazon. So they know when you start reading, when you stop, when you're sleeping, when you're awake, if you've been naughty and nice, they know everything. So I get a. Like a thousand page reads, I get five dollars. I mean, it's not that much, but if like all the people that read it, um, you know, if um, I like combined, if it's like ten thousand page reads, I'll get like fifty bucks or whatever it is, whatever the. So should I pretend? Should I just go through the pages all day? You could do that. You could do that to get you paid. Yeah, you could do that. I can set up, I can set up a macro, a computer macro, <laughs> to just just all day long read your book. I could do that. You know, I have I know how to do that. Well, yeah, go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> I did that for COVID vaccinations, as you recall. You did? Oh, I did. what do you mean? I, I oh, to, I, get, to, to get yeah, to get to get to, to get an appointment. Yeah. But anyway, so I would just recommend I would highly recommend Dan's book. It's really good. Thank you, Noam. And Noam's not a guy that fi- you don't finish most books, right? Or you don't you, you usually give up. I, I, I try to finish novels, but I usually don't even finish. Like, I, I never got through Confederacy of Dunces. I'm trying to get through that. But I, I did get through The Stand by Stephen King, which is very, very long. And I got through that. But, yeah, I don't usually finish. Uh, I definitely don't finish nonfiction books. Well, so I'll consider it an honor if you do finish it. And um, feel free to leave a... a, a, a I also want to tell the listeners before we get to Bob that um, it's so autobiographical. Like, I mean, the character is, you know, is, is written not to resemble Dan and his looks and whatever it is. But the stuff that the character's feeling, I mean, this has got to be what Dan Natterman's feeling. Uh, it's just, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating insight into Dan Natterman. Uh, a lot of it is. Yeah, I'd say it's 60 to 70% autobiographical with, and there's exact, it's a lot of it's exaggerated. Um, 
And obviously my family life is very different in the book. The character's family life rather is different than my own. And of course, Noam is in the book. I don't know if you've gotten to that part. Two things. First of all, you don't really have a huge dick in real life. And second of all, all, the the club owner is a little bit too Jewy for my taste. But other than that, I'm kidding. Yeah, the club, the club owner is, is, uh, I mean, I basically, I, I kind of um, ripped off Noam's story and, uh, I think I'm protected legally because I don't say anything negative about you. I don't care. Okay. All right, anyway. get to Bob. <laughs> Bob DeBono is is uh, when Trump was elected, Bob DeBono's life was completely changed. Yeah. Bob, tell us about that. I know you've been on the show before, but for those who haven't heard your story. Well, I was <clears throat> I was uh, as a comedian in my stand up, I used to do uh, and always do like impressions in my stand up. And so I was working on an SNL audition and I was like, I got to do something contemporary. I can't walk in there doing Al Pacino. And that would be kind of hacky. Sure. And so people were like, God, you, you got Trump. And this is before, you know, Trump won. He was running and he was a buffoon to everybody. So everyone was like, oh, you know, you got to You got to do a Trump. You got to do a Trump. So I started working on it after four months. I get it down. I, uh, I pitch it to Rory Albanese, who was like uh, one of the producers, showrunners over at the nightly show with Larry Wilmore. And he's like, yeah, let me show it to Larry. He's like, oh, Larry loves it. And within two weeks, I'm on Comedy Central. I go in, I do a live read in front of the writers. They all love it that night. I'm on the show in front of a live audience in front of the world. And then every week I started coming on. I signed an exclusivity contract with Comedy Central to be like their Trump. And it was like, it was amazing. Like all of a sudden everything changed. And right before Trump wins, the show goes off the air. And I'm like, oh my God, like this show had so, you know, this really had legs if Trump, you know, especially with him winning and the show a month before goes off the air. And I'm like, I can't believe this because that show was so, you know, it was all about the news of the day. And so now I'm thinking, well, my phone's going to be ringing off the hook because like everyone's going to be calling me SNL. I mean, everyone's going to want a Trump. And the irony is that nobody called me. And I believe (laughs) and I believe that there was such a hangover that people like when he was running, it was he was a buffoon. It was funny. But when he won, people got so angry that he won. They didn't want to bring someone on to make Trump funny or likable. They wanted to control it. So all the late night shows, if you notice, other than SNL, they wouldn't bring on a Trump. They would all do the Trump themselves. You know, Colbert, um, Trevor Noah, Kimmel would do like a call in, but no one would bring on someone to do the Trump character other than SNL. And of course, they do it, you know, for the ratings and with Alec, you know, who they're very well connected to. So then I went into this kind of like malaise. I was like, I can't believe like I here I am. I work really hard in this character. And this is like the most polarizing character in the country and nobody's calling me. And then after a couple of months, other things started opening up. I went on The View on ABC. I did the voice of Trump on Murphy Brown on CBS for their reboot. Um, I did. I got a call from the manager of YG, uh, hip hop artist YG. And he's like, hey, we're doing a tour with rapper Kendrick Lamar. 2017 around the country, sold out arenas starting in Sacramento, California, ending in uh, in uh, in Florida. And, you know, I'm 30,000 people a night. And I didn't even know who Kendrick Lamar was. I thought it was like a linebacker for the Ravens. I was like, who's that? They're like, no, he's a he's like a he's like a big deal. You don't know hip hop artist Kendrick Lamar. And I was like, no, I, I don't. So there I get this email. They're like, do you want to come tour with us? We want you to come out on stage as Donald Trump every night. 
for 30,000 people and you're going to do Trump. And then right after you do Trump, YG is going to come out and sing a song. Fuck Donald Trump. So lo and behold, you know, a week later, I'm like, well, as an artist, I'm like, I got to do it. I don't know where this could lead to. So, so I go out there and they kind of sold it to me like, oh, you're going to be doing like staying in a hotel. Then we're going to take the bus to the gigs and you're just going to go on stage for like three minutes every night and do Trump. Well, lo and behold, I'm living on a bus with YG, the rapper, and all of his buddies that are all Bloods gang members from Compton, two strippers and two white guys that are like roadies. You know, they're like the grips and the guys that do all. So I'm living on a bus for three and a half weeks and there's like 10 of us and nobody's talking to me. The manager, he's this big, super nice guy, but everyone, they all, all of his buddies from Compton, number one, they're, they're legitimate Bloods gang members. So they don't trust white guys to begin with if they don't know you. And I'm Trump and they <laughs> hate Trump. So every time they, I'm here, I am on a bus and I'm like, wow, these guys are really like hardcore. This is like legit guys, gang members. And even when I was out and I was like trying to you know, bond with them, I'm like, look, for three and a half weeks, we're living together. I want them to know, like, I, I get, you know, I get them. I, I like these guys. But what's that? You're down with the struggle. You want? Yeah, I'm down with the struggle. Yeah, yeah, okay. I feel like when Voss does that joke, I'm down with the struggle. Okay, loosen up. Okay, I know the struggle. I'm a Jew. Okay, show. So anyway, I'm on the bus, and not, even when I'm out of makeup, they they be looking at me, going, "Yo, fuck Trump. Yo, fuck Trump. Fuck Trump." And I'm like, "No, guys, I'm a comedian. I'm just doing a character. I'm not Trump. I'm just pretending." No, fuck Trump. You Trump. You Trump. Fuck Trump. And so for three and a half weeks, it was like I was bordering on getting killed. But I the one thing that was the the resounding thing was that they needed me because they couldn't kill me because they needed me every night to come out as Donald Trump. It, uh, you were so you were there was no hotels. You were sleeping on that. bus. We slept on that bus. So every night we, I would go out, it, you know, YG uh, would open the show. I would come out for three minutes. He'd come out after me, sing Fuck Donald Trump. There'd be an intermission. And I'm going out during the intermission. I'm like a celebrity. People are coming down from the rafters, autographs. I mean, people are lining up. I mean, we're in arenas, 30,000 people a show. Then, then our Kendrick Lamar would come out. Then we get back on the bus and just head like six, seven, eight, ten hours to the next city. And we did this for three and a half weeks. I stayed in a hotel, I think, one night in the three and a half weeks. And literally. Showers on them and stuff. And Not, not only was there no shower. And I'm thinking, you know, YG's makes a lot of money. I'm thinking we're going to be like a real classy. We were on a bus that not only was there no shower, they said to me the first day, they said, by the way, if you want to go to the bathroom, you can go number one. But if you got to take a dump, you got to ask the bus driver to stop the bus. So you got to it becomes a big thing. Yeah, right. And then I'm like, well. <laughs> And all these guys are like, we want to get all the, you know, Compton buddies are like, we want to get to the goddamn gig. Don't be slowing down this bus. So I'm, I stopped eating because I'm like, I ain't going to be shitting. Not Wait, on this bus. You, I, ate, I ain't stopping no bus. How did you shower at the, at the, gig? we showered at, I would, I, you know, everything was kind of unorganized. So when I, I didn't, 
there I would shower at the arena. We'd go, we'd get into the like the next arena at like 9 30, 10 in the morning. I would go in the arena, shower, and then I would disappear all day, go to like a Starbucks with my little computer and come back at six o'clock, seven o'clock, go to the you know locker room and get dressed. And then we'd all be in this giant locker room getting ready. And the you know, the show would start at like eight o'clock. But I stopped eating. I was like, I ain't eating. I ain't stopping this bus. But, well, everybody else had to stop the bus, too. I mean, yeah, rapper shit as well. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is that the rappers are all friends and they don't like me. They don't I don't they don't know me. I'm some white guy. I'm not from the hood. Uh, I'm not part of their circle. And I'm Donald Trump. So I was like, I ain't, I ain't dealing with. And they were like testing me like they had no boundaries like this is how you slept. So you're on a bus and there's 10 of us. So you have basically, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you guys have been on these buses, but there's basically like a cubby. So you slide into your bed you slide. It's like a pizza oven. You just, you can't sit up in it. You just slide in and you go to bed and there's a person above you and a person above that. So there's three, 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 and then another three, three, three. So there's like maybe 15 beds or something like that on the bus. So you're living on top of people, but it's not like this would be hard living if you lived with your family on a bus like this, but you're not even living on a family. You're not, you're not even like with people that you're friends with that might you know be kind of annoying after a while, but you're with people who already don't like you. They already don't like you and you're living with them on top of them. Very bad money. I mean, you don't have to answer, but I don't usually ask, but I just feel like curious. How much money do they have to pay somebody to, to do something that you're describing? Well, they, they came to me and said, what's your rate? And I talked to my agent. We had to put in like a, you know, a death tax, a death tax if they killed me. Um, so but, suffice it to say, despite all this horror, you, you were happy with the gig. So it was the most, you know, look, you're, you're in front of 30,000 people a night as a comic doing anything performing i mean it's the most invigorating thing you can ever and do and would rather die than be in front of thirty thousand people as <laughs> now here's the deal here i'd rather be dead i wouldn't rather die <laughs> but that's not what would invigorate me what invigorate with me would be if i was being well paid yeah so <laughs> i give a fuck about being in front of thirty thousand. so i had that i was on that fine line of like i didn't want uh, i yeah, i didn't want to lose the gig because there are people out there they, they could hire that could also do donald trump so i didn't want to lose it but i also needed to get paid because but again, they kind of resold me a bad bill of goods. They were like, oh, hotels, some some bus, but hotels, some bus. But it was all bus, very little, if not no hotel. I think we passed a hotel. We stayed at a hotel for three hours. Was there a no, was there a no poop clause as well? <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know any of this. I didn't know that you couldn't take a shit. And, and again, I could have stopped the bus. I was just kind of afraid because they already didn't like me and no one would talk to me. There was one. Well, why guy, don't you try to time your shit to when the other guys are shitting? Well, I could way, do that. You know. I could do that. And uh, so it, and then you just had, you know, you just had a little curtain where you slept. So at any point, someone just would they would just open my curtain and just while I'm in the middle of sleeping, just open my curtain and, and be like, yo, where's my slipper? And I'm like. What what are you talking about? I'm no. I, what slipper? Yo, my slipper was right here on the floor with my slipper. Yo, man, you got my slipper with my slipper at motherfucker. And I'm like, dude, I don't got your slipper. And it was like they were testing me. Like they always wanted to like see if they could like get me, and they wanted to work me over. So, but Bob, I, I have a question. Is it is you you do Trump, but your Trump impression kind of makes one feel that you kind of like Trump. 
It's, it's not a ridiculing Alec Baldwin, Trump's an asshole impression. I mean, it, it's almost a lovable in, Trump impression that yeah. maybe betrays some sympathy you have. Like, like it, talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, every impersonator has their own approach when they do an impersonation. Some people that impersonate, um, they like to do a cartoonish version. Uh, Dana Carvey was very uh, big at that. He was a cartoonish impression. He would take an impression and blow it up tenfold. And that became the impersonation. Other schools of thought when they impersonate someone is actually almost like method acting. You become that person. You try to channel that person, the way they think, the way they talk, and you try to get you know get every nuance of that character. So it's like watching a good magic act. If you watch a really good impersonator, like the impersonation is so good that almost like you know it's not really them, but you're willing to take the ride. And then I think it's got even more efficacy when the person's telling jokes. It's even funnier because the person is so good at what they do. There's nothing worse than a bad impression because then you're like, oh, the jokes are kind of good, but the impression's terrible. So my always my approach is doing the same thing I do with my dad that I would do at the, at the dinner table. I just become that person and then let the jokes you know, kind of be the icing uh, on, on the cake. So when I started working on Trump, I'm not political. I'm an, I'm really an independent. I've always saw myself as more of a Democrat. I voted for Hillary in 2016. But when Trump won, I just play Trump the way I Trump would show up at a rally. And if you love Trump, you're going to go, that's my guy. And if you hate him, you're going to go, oh, my God, that is so what Trump would say. What an asshole. And so and I found that balance because I've been able to do both like all the TV work I do is strictly very, very liberal. I just did Kimmel last month, which was making fun of Trump. And then meanwhile, like I did the Georgia boat parade and, you know, and I'm doing Republican conventions. So, so last question about this uh, on, on election night. You had to be pulling for Trump, right? I mean, you I, care about the country. Absolutely. But- yeah. At that, I didn't care about the country at that point. I don't blame you. <laughs> no, I mean, as a comedian, when you work really hard, you know, I, who thought Trump would have Trump was first a buffoon. And then when Trump won, people got scared. And so that's when really that's when the polarization really, I feel, took place is when he won. And I wasn't looking at it through that lens. I was just looking at it through the lens of being a comic that created a character. And so I thought it would I was like, hey, you know, I'm sick of politicians. Yeah, let's see what the guy can do. I didn't know, you know. So, so Mr. President, uh, this January 6th thing, what were you thinking? What, what the hell is the matter with you? Well, it's really horrible. If you look at the fake news, they're terrible. You know, the fake news is horrible. And they're the enemy of the people. I think we all know that. And January 6th was a great day. It was a tremendous day. And I don't know if you know this, Noam, but we had one of the greatest turnouts perhaps in the history of the country and maybe even the world by far. I don't think anyone comes close. And frankly, I think it was bigger than my inauguration, which, by the way, was bigger than the birth of Jesus Christ. We uh, we have uh, with us. Thank you. Thank you. Please. Thank you. We do need to introduce our uh, our guest. Please watch us on YouTube because the faces are, are, are just as good as the voice. OK, go ahead. Bert. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. Uh, Dr. Constantino Mendieta, who we can all thank for uh, all the great butts we're seeing in Miami and anywhere around the world. He perfected the Brazilian butt lift and even wrote the book on it. 
that all plastic surgeons have to read before diving into this surgery. He's been featured on the Doctors Inside Edition, Daily Mail TV, Access Hollywood Extra, BBC TV, and many more. And he's here to talk about the uh, transracial plastic surgery as well, which has been in the news of late. Please welcome Dr. Constantino Mendieta joining us. How are you, Dr. Mendieta? Good, guys. How are you? Thank you for having me on the show. This is fun. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you with us. It's too bad you couldn't come see us in New York, but this Delta variant is uh, is um, sort of uh, busting loose all over the place and changing everybody's plans. I was actually at a wedding at the end of the month that I won't be going to because of the Delta variant and also because these are cousins that I don't speak to anyway. But um, <laughs> they don't speak to you. you mean. <laughs> but in any case, um, yes, let's talk about um this new trend in plastic surgery, the butt lift. Ah, look at you jumping right into the butt. I like it. Uh, well, I love I like big butts and I can't lie, but uh, I don't like them too big. I actually like uh, pleasantly round, but not overwhelming. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people started thinking, well, I don't want big butts. And it's not really about the size of it. It's more about the shape. Sorry, my wife's calling me. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> um, so the thing is that it's not really about size, but Jennifer Lopez, Kim Kardashian, boy, they really turned it into something. I mean, Jennifer Lopez showed up in that green see-through dress in 1999, and that just sparked a revolution around the world. I mean, this became uh, a phenomenon. I mean, nowadays, we do about, I think, 300,000 of these procedures around the world uh, when it comes to the butt. The butt's the new breast. Um, so it's really popular. I mean, hugely popular. And it, it covers every ethnic background. I mean, I, I say a third are African-Americans, a third are Caucasians, uh, and then the other third are Hispanics, with 10% being Asians. So it's pretty crazy the way it's going. Now, what, which, which um, African-Americans, oh, never mind, I can't, even, I can't even talk, this is too radioactive. African-Americans want bigger butts? Yeah. Can you believe it? I mean, they want shapelier butts. So, but yeah, they do sometimes. I mean, so it's really, it, it, it's been a phenomenon. You got to remember that in the States, people get attracted to things that are a little bit over the top or not, not attractive, but they, they draw attention. So uh, initially people just wanted the big butts, kind of like when the breast came out, they wanted big breasts, you know, Pamela Anderson, Dolly Parton. These were the girls that everybody talked about uh, in terms of breast. And so the butt kind of took on the same craze. Now it's starting to come down. They don't want them as big. But in the beginning, the bigger, the better for the butts, you know? And, and what about the, I mean, Asian women, Asian people tend to have flatter, but I mean, you can say, you can say this as a, as a person of science that this is correct, right? Asian people, <laughs> yeah, Asian people tend to have flatter butts. We've got to be correct. So we're going to take it to science. The, uh, the answer is yes. They tend to have them. And the Asians are interesting because um, they don't want big butts. They want shapier, prettier, perkier butts. It makes them look taller. Uh, the minute you start widening a buttock, it'll make the person look a little bit shorter. So a lot of the, the Asians want to look a little bit taller. So they want more of a narrow butt, more of an athletic looking buttock. So every culture has got their own desires. And what's fascinating is what we can do today because we take your own body fat, which now we call the liquid gold and the most dreaded part of the human body, which was fat for the ages, ever since you could remember, uh, is now the magic in plastic surgery because I can take your fat and redistribute it, kind of like taking the backyard and putting it into the front, all the trees. So it's rearranging the furniture, rearranging the trees. 
And I'm able to put this fat so like in men, I can create the Adonis procedure. I transfer fat into the biceps, the triceps, the deltoids, and I just totally transform these guys. Or you can put it in the breast, you can put it in the butt and the calves, the hands, the penis, uh, the vagina. There is even- a <laughs> I had you a vagina, didn't I? <laughs> um, so, so, uh, oh, so, and, and uh, what, what can you do for the, I want to ask different questions, but what can you do for the penis? Well, we can make it thicker or longer. So longer, you can usually gain about an inch or two, but thickness, you can make it pretty wide. So one of the things that you do is you take fat and you inject it into it to make it a little bit thicker. People are really doing this like a lot. Yeah, well, it's starting to become more popular in men. Now, here's what's interesting. You gotta be careful because plastic surgeons have been shot for two procedures, rhinoplasties in men and penis surgery in men. So you got to wear a bulletproof vest whenever you do these things. Because if they don't come out right, the men freak yeah. out. Yeah, they, oh my God, they freak out, yeah. Now, but but I, would, I would imagine that if you put fat around a man's penis, then even when it was erect, it would still be kind of spongy and soft, right? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be rock hard. No, the fat takes on the property of where you put it. So if you put it around bone, it'll feel like bone. I mean, no pun intended. But if you put it around muscle, it'll feel like muscle. So fat is an interesting... Uh, uh, matter because just it just takes on the properties of where you put it, so it doesn't feel spongy and fat. Um, it just feels normal. But when you were when you were in medical school, was this what you wanted to do, or how, how did it come about that you went into this particular field? Yeah, well, the penis wasn't on my mind, if that's what you mean. But well, but it, was, plastic yeah. surgery on your mind? Oh my God! Listen, I was like five years old. My uncle was a plastic surgeon in Nicaragua. And I watched him reconstruct the war victims. And I said, you know, that just to have the ability to reconstruct a face, redo a nose after it's been blown off. I was just fascinated. I mean, I'm only five years old, but I was fascinated. I was hooked. So ever since I was little, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, which was this. And are, are you doing that kind of surgery as well? The re, you know, people with accident victims and this, uh, this sorts of things? No, heck no. You know what? The butt jumped in the way. So I started wondering. <laughs> But I hear my so my wife like my wife I married a Puerto Rican woman she she always had a really great butt and now she's concerned that you know as you get as she's getting older it's it's she says I haven't noticed sweetheart that it, <laughs> that it's falling a little bit like a little cellulite whatever it is that that happens naturally but this is and so but this is my she was actually going to come on this show and show you her butt but um what because happened? because I'm, I'm on vacation you can see I'm not in a normal background and we we just didn't do it but this is the thing. Like when you decorate a house and you when you when you fix up or renovate a house, you fix up one part of the house, you expose that the other part of the house looks worse. Like when you start fixing up a part of the body, doesn't it then look out of whack with the rest of the body that's aged? And then it doesn't look like a chain reaction of, of surgeries that you want to have. That that is a great question. Well, first of all, let me address the butt, the flat butt. Um, as we age, we lose fat from certain parts of the body. And that is the hands, the face, the breast, and yes, the butt. Men tend to lose their butt at around 40 years of age. And that's where you need to put more money in your wallet so the butt looks bigger. But at any rate, that's where we tend to lose the fat from. So your wife is absolutely correct that as she's aged, the butt's kind of deflated. But we don't lose fat where we want to lose it, which is like around the belly, the love handles, the outer legs. It's kind of like hair. You lose it in the front, but not the back. So you can take the back hair and move it to the front. And that genetics of that hair is to live forever. Those fat cells that live around the, the, the stomach, the waist, the outer legs, they live forever. So that's why I can take them, put them into the buttock, 
and rejuvenated. Now, you're right, there's a harmony that goes with, with this. And what's interesting with plastic surgery is that if you're successful and the patient becomes very happy, it does a tremendous thing on the self-esteem. So now they start looking at other things that they can do. And so it does become a little bit of an addiction sometimes uh, just because you keep on bumping up that, that uh, the self-esteem every time you do something. And then as you listen, we don't stay young forever. So you keep on aging and now you're open to plastic surgery. So that's always a, an open door that you're looking at throughout life. But do you ever, uh, I mean, given that, do you ever say to a patient, look, I don't think this is healthy. I think you look fine. And, and, and do you ever try to talk them out of it or refuse to do something? I'm, I mean, if a patient there wants... One, there was one patient in the nursing home that I said that to. Yes. <laughs> what did she want? <laughs> she was 105. Listen, there are patients that you don't operate on because they're not psychologically ready for the after effects or for the procedure itself. Typically, people that are in a very fragile state, people that have gone through divorces, people that aren't emotionally uh, really stable or ready for changes in their life. And there's something called um, the body dysmorphic syndrome, where you've got a little tiny little thing and, and you don't even leave your house because you have a little mole on the tip of your nose. Those people, you really, you'll never make them happy. And so there's a little bit of an art. I mean, it's not just... We're not just surgeons with a scalpel. We were psychiatrists with a scalpel a lot of the times. So we really got to be able to discern. The thing is, sometimes you got, what, 15, 20, 30 minutes to try to read a personality and to see if they're ready for this kind of a surgery. Sometimes there's obvious telltale signs that you say, oh, boy, there's no way I want to operate on them. They come in with tons and tons of pictures. They lay them out and they say, I want this, but I don't want this in the same picture. So there's people that we don't operate on for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. But the majority, I'd say 98% of the time, yeah, they're, they're people that are ready to go. So what about these people that, um, you know, like this this uh, influencer who had, said that he was transracial and he wanted to become Korean? I mean, it's obvious that, I mean, and there are multiple cases like this where you see somebody who's obviously had like, I don't know, 20, 30 40 surgeries and it, it's just insane. Right. You know, that, that's an interesting topic because here's the thing. Now for years, Asians have wanted to look more Western. As a matter of fact, they had this double eyelid surgery where um, because they're born without that lid on the upper part, they want to open up their eyes and they want to look more Western. And in Japan, they do about 187,000 of these surgeries and around the world, they do about wow. 1.3 million of these wow. double eyelids, huge. Now they're trying to become Western. Some of them are trying to open up their eyes, but they're trying to go from one race and trying to look like a Westerner. And they're trying to accommodate. Now what's happened is at the high, we're going the other direction on the highway where a Westerner wants to look more Asian. And it's created a tremendous amount of buzz. Uh, now I've listened to the guy and he, he sounds very eloquent. He, he's very uh, well-spoken. Um, and I really, he, he just relates more to that culture and, and likes their features and wants to be, I think they overshot it and doesn't look like Jimin, which is the, the uh, singer, but he looks more like Kim Jong-un. So <laughs> I think <he> <laughs> yeah, but, um, I, so I haven't really had a problem where I do have a problem is when people want to look like somebody else, then you don't need the scalpel. You need a sofa and you need to talk to a psychiatrist, I think, because, you know, trying to look like somebody else is, is very, very different than trying to get some features that you find attractive or that you enjoy. Uh, That's 
That's yeah. so I, I have a question. Isn't there a guy out there that's trying to be like a human Barbie doll? Oh my God! There's a Barbie and or, there's a or, Ken. Yeah, Ken, right? Is like, there's, yeah. there's a guy who that guy's always in the news. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I am amazed at what we can do with my profession. I, the, yeah, they look pretty. That's pretty wild. How crazy they make them. They look, they look like dolls. I, I don't know how they did that. Franklin, I got to go read the book on that. What about what? what what's your take on um, Michael Jackson? Uh, he only had one nose surgery. They say. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know that, and that's almost like a body dysmorphic. He he got to a point where I thought he looked really good, but then he kept he kept chasing perfection, and that's where you start getting into problems, and it just became overwhelming and obsessive. But um, so you, yeah. that was tragic. Go ahead. Well, he looked good when the thrill. He looked really handsome uh, when the Thriller uh, the album came out. That was that era. That was you know eighty three, eighty four. But did oh, he have had he had surgery at yeah. that point? Yes, yeah. he, had, he had multiple rhinoplasties, not just one. I mean, that was like 30 or I don't know how many, but um, I know that it for sure wasn't one. Um, and But he looked really good at Thriller. But again, you start chasing perfection. And as a surgeon, you start looking at it and you start saying, well, can I change something? And then you kind of get weaseled into doing it. And, and then you end up just creating disasters afterwards. And that's the problem. Sometimes being able to say no is difficult for us. And that's a, a lesson that we keep on learning throughout our entire career. <laughs> And there's no legal or ethical uh, hearing or anything for a for a plastic surgeon who who does performs a surgery on somebody that they really shouldn't do the surgery on. Well, that's where the attorneys step in and they start suing you. So that that's where it really comes down to. And then if it's a major, major, major issue, then you might have your board of medicine that looks at things. But um, just because you operate on somebody doesn't necessarily put you in that in that category. But unhappy patients will sue. Well, it's sometimes it's hard to say no when there's money at stake. Uh, we know a fellow that had to live on a bus and couldn't take a shit for uh, several weeks. Why is that? Uh, well, this is a, this is our friend Bob DeBona. <laughs> oh, you can take it. Yeah, I, I should have gotten an ass transplant where they closed up my ass. He was he was on a tour bus opening for a rapper, and anytime he had to go number two, he had to ask the bus driver to stop the bus. I was too, and I was too afraid to ask, so I just held it in so for I'm, three I'm, weeks. I'm so that's not the really but the so money was good, so we did it. <laughs> so that, what I'm looking at is not the belly. He's just bloated from not pooping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just for Bob's belly. By the way, this, this, this picture, these beautiful breasts uh, behind your, on your backdrop there. Are, yeah, you like those them? are real or those are? Uh, no, that's, uh, that's uh, uh, I give a lot of lectures around the world. And so some of my, my pictures that I put up there. No, those are uh, Photoshop things. See, look. Let me move my head so you can see the boobs. If I came to your office yeah, and yeah, said, yeah, just I want to see the boobs. If I came to your office and said, doctor, because uh, my nose is a larger nose. And I said to you, uh, look, I can't get laid. The girls don't like me because of my nose. If I had a yeah, better yeah. nose, I'd be getting laid left and right. Now, would yeah, you yeah. say ethically speaking, would you step in and say, look, if you're not getting laid, it ain't your nose. I can change it. But uh, that's not the issue. What, what would you say? I, to? I, I would say to you. You're coming in for the rectal, aren't you? <laughs> uh, no, I'd say, listen, I'd take a look at your nose. And if there's something I can do about it, I said, listen, let me try to get you laid. <laughs> That's why I would do your nose. Because I'm looking at it. I don't know where you went, but let me look at your nose, man. I'll send you my phone number. Let me see. 
No, I don't want to know. I'm just saying I used to think about getting a nose job because I used to believe that that was getting in my way. You're right, Dan. Turn to your right. Let's see the profile. Turn to your right. I have one good. Wait, side. we need to put it to scales. Uh, should I take my penis out? <laughs> you get charged oxygen? Let me see, man. Let me see. Let me see. <laughs> the, thing, the thing is that if you're insecure about your people love imperfections. That's the thing. I mean, it's really your personality well, I, I, sells. I, you it's know, not about I, your I, nose I, or this or that. No, I used to think it was about my nose. And then I not realized it was nose. about everything else. But, everything but uh, else. it was my personality that was a problem. Now but, here's the deal. But I've, I've enough attractive women have told me that they think Adrian Brody is hot that I like was like, oh, OK, so the nose is not an issue. No, no. Look yeah. at uh, what's that singer who had the, 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 the little tooth thing going on? Oh, a the, jewel. Yeah, Jewel. Jewel well, had a writer. messed up mouth and everyone loved her. She was a mess. Yeah, what she have? She had that like a jagged tooth. It was like a like a lion. So, tooth. Sometimes I'll admit it. Saber doc, tooth. Doctor, I will admit sometimes to Googling on Pornhub. Ugly. Big uh, nose, big nose whores. <laughs> <laughs> big nose whore. Slept bag. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is that true? Yeah, sometimes it turns me on when somebody's like busted. Busted up. You know, but but not necessarily. What do you type ever, in? Busted up. I just say like uh, ugly. Uh, ugly chick, slut, you know, something like that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm going to Google it. <laughs> ugly skank who loves Jews. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, you know, there's, there's, uh, every, there's a fetish for everything, I guess is what I'm getting at. There is. So, doctor, you, you have children? I've got uh, one son and one stepson. So, uh, how old am I, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, my son is 17 right now. Wow. So, yeah. so th- my question is, Given your profession, are you more likely to encourage your kids to have plastic surgery or more likely to discourage them and say, listen, it's not really going to change your life? Like, what's your what's your attitude towards it for your own family? I say I leave it to each individual. So if he came to me and he wanted to have something done, I would definitely do it. I wouldn't discourage him from it. I've had like about eight of these things, man, and I'm still not pretty. So I keep on going for it. But all right. So you've also I have a a question. You've also had a lot of surgeries. Oh my God, like, hey, dude, I live underneath the scalpel. Yeah. Oh, really? What have you done? I've done uh, hair transplants. Uh, As you can see, they took very well. (laughs) I have had two facelifts, a nose job, five lipos. Uh, Yeah, what else? Penis enlargement. My wife says a penis enlargement, but I didn't have that yet. You Uh, look totally natural, though. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. You do look like you look like a totally natural Swedish man. Okay. <laughs> I uh, I listen. I lecture all over the world, so I know a lot of these guys that are that lecture with me. I just I, I know the. But can I ask you a question? What is yeah. the impetus for you? To, what's your psychological thing? Did you never like your body? Did you have issues with your with your look for a long time? Um, that's a great question. I yeah I um I didn't think it'd be life changing, but it certainly made me feel better. So like at one point I weighed three hundred pounds, man. I got that heavy. I had two gastric sleeves. My face was real droopy. I was self conscious about it. I was in the in the beauty business, and I didn't look so beautiful. Um, uh, more like Shrek. So I said, you know, let me try to make this better. And I got to tell you, it does amazing things to the self esteem when you got people complimenting you all the time. You just feel empowered. Imagine when you're really in the best shape that you've ever been in, you've been dieting, working out, and you feel great. Remember that feeling. And then remember the other feeling where you just didn't feel so good. You were the heaviest you'd been. Totally different feelings. The way you walk, the way you carry, the way you talk about it, the way you talk to people is just a very invigorating, empowering feeling. 
But is it a is it a sickness for you? Like, do you feel like it's never no, going to be good? All, but, but no, not a, zero, not at all. But I, I think if I see something that I know I can improve, like let's say I want to get a six pack ab, I go, okay, great. I know I can't work out. I can't be in there all the time. Um, so yeah, I definitely go get a six pack ab if that's what I wanted to do. But it's more, um, it, it's not about um, trying to impress other people. It's more for myself and, and making myself feel better. Um, but I, I've loved every procedure that I've had done. I mean, I, I think it's been really uh, life-changing in terms of my self-esteem, where it was. I mean, I had a pretty low self-esteem. Huh? Even the hair transplant? Yeah. <laughs> hair transplant has gone wild. Look at me. I wish we could see your before photo. Uh, shit, I don't know where. I, I'll have to email it to you. Uh, I was 300 pounds. I used to wear curtains, man. I wouldn't. I wouldn't shop at clothing stores. I, I'd shop at like uh, the, the the drapery places. Right, but certainly pounds. you must have. Certainly you must have lost um, a, a significant amount of that weight yourself. I mean, not by plastic the, surgery. The problem is no, no, no. You know what I had done was a gastric sleeve, so that's more bariatric. Right. And what happened is that yeah, I could definitely lose it, but then I'd gain it again, and then I'd lose it, and then I'd gain it again. So I just gave up, and I said, let me do the gastric sleeve. And then uh, I had it twice. I had one, once I lost 60 pounds, I had it done again, and I lost another 40, so I lost 100 pounds with a gastric sleeve. Right, I gotta tell you, that's the most my, amazing. My aunt has that, my aunt got that. She, um, she did? Yes. How much did she lose? Uh, I mean, at least 100 pounds. But Perry Allen. Perry Allen is trying. What, go ahead. I'm just saying Perry Al, but Perry Al's she's not at that level of 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 uh, in terms of uh, obesity. She's just wants to lose a few pounds and she's doing it the hard way. She's eating how many calories a day, Perry Al, are you restricting? Well, I'm trying to lose 25 pounds. I've lost seven and a half so far. Um, I'm eating 1400 calories a day. Yeah, that just seems like an insanely small amount of food. To- no, actually, that's actually not for women. I think it's around 1500 for women if you're trying to lose some weight. Right. 500 calories gets tough. But, um, and you know what, you know what it's really good is that uh, intermittent fasting thing. I, I lost some weight doing that. That's unbelievable. I have a question about plastic surgery. Cause this would, this would be a, this would be an important thing for me. Does it hurt a lot? What now it depends it on what you're having done. So facelifts, noses, no, absolutely not. Liposuction is uncomfortable with there's new medicine now. It's called Expro. You can inject it in the body when you're doing tummy tucks or lipos, and it decreases your pain by 85%. It lasts for about five to seven days. It's amazing. So it's revolutionizing really how, how people uh, recover uh, from pain afterwards. So it's pretty amazing. There's certain things like butt implants. Man, those things are probably the, the most painful thing there is. But with this medicine, you really do well. But typically, certain things won't hurt. Other things will. And then it depends on people. Listen, there's people that can get run over by a bus and they don't hurt. Others get their hair cut and they're screaming. So it really is very different by everybody. Yeah, my, my wife has a terrific tolerance for pain. She dislocated her shoulder and she was like, all right, to go to the hospital. I, should, you know, I would have been uh, immobilized. <laughs> I'd be with you on the other bed, dude. <laughs> what, what is the most dangerous surgery? Because some are dangerous, right? Right. No, they all carry their own risk and they all have, you know, that, that, dangerous side to it. Um, for a while there, the fat transfers to the buttock had gotten real dangerous because people were injecting it in the vein, going to the lungs and, and they were passing away. We've, we're perfecting the, the procedure now a lot. So now that, that's tremendously improved. Um, but I'd say that every surgery carries its own risk. And so you gotta be careful with 
um, you know, with where you go, who you go to, getting medical labs, getting medical clearance before. We make sure everybody's fine-tuned before we get in there, man. Uh, you know, we don't just operate on anybody. It's, and, we're uh, very and selective. Uh, are, are plastic surgeries typically covered by insurance or not? No, there's the ones that are like, if you can't breathe because you have a deviated septum, uh, let's say you have big boobies that like your nipples are down to your toes and you step on it every time you walk, that might qualify you. Um, Dan looked that video up, right? You lay out and you got little nipples on your knees. That's not good. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's some insurances that will cover certain things, but no, not typically not. What if you have an accident and you need it for the recovery from? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, insurances will usually cover that. Yeah. So this is quite yeah. expensive, right? Is, is something is, I don't want to ask you questions that I shouldn't ask you uh, uh, in public, but like, can I, can you discuss what these things cost or no? Yeah. Well. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Listen. The thing is that there's a price variation between states. So I would say New York is probably the most expensive. So let's take a, a facelift. A facelift in New York would run you anywhere between thirty to a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, in Miami, it's usually about 12 to 20 for a face and neck. And if you go to California, boy, that'll vary, vary too, between 30 to 100, almost even 150. Um, that's not everybody. Usually they're very, very affordable facelifts, anywhere between eight to $15,000. Let's say, let's take the butt, the BBL. The BBL in Florida, you could find it for as little as $39.95 with a set of Ginzu knives. <laughs> or you can go ahead. The typical price is around nine thousand, but if you go to Beverly Hills or you go to New York, you're looking at twelve, fourteen thousand. So it really varies on states. Miami is not that expensive, and this is what's fascinating to me. Miami is a, a hub, right, for South America, and it's a destination spot. You would think people would fly here and 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 pay good money for plastic surgery, but we can't charge prices that they charge in New York, LA. People are well. I have a buddy of mine that's in Shreveport. And man, he can charge for liposuctions up to $30,000. I can't do that here in Miami. People wouldn't be coming. I, I, it's, it's mind boggling. I don't know why they won't, they won't travel to Miami to pay, but they'll travel to Miami to not pay much. So Miami is not that expensive when it comes to plastic surgery. And then the other thing is they've opened up a lot of these credit places where people get loans and all that kind of stuff to get this done. So you got a huge population now getting plastic surgery. How, how, much, how many of your patients are are doing this for professional reasons. They're strippers, models, actresses, that sort of thing. Uh, I'd say about 25, 20, 25%. Now, here's what's interesting. I've kind of done a mini study on the strippers. They increase their income by about 25 to 30%. When they get the, on the breasts or on the butt or both? Everything. On the butt. Do both. You're looking at 40% increase. You know, yeah. when I go to a strip club, I prefer the stripper with the natural boobs and with the smaller boobs. I, I Maybe I'm an outlier. Right, Put it, but, but do you like them flat where it's just nipples or do you like a little mound? A little, yeah, no, a little bit, but but if I'd rather have small naturals than big unnaturals. I like big Again, with no nipples. <laughs> but, well, he's sitting next to you, man. <laughs> so listen, here's the thing. See, you're focused on size again. It's not about size. It's about shape and proportion. So it's a very different perspective. So if I gave you somebody that had very natural, small boobies, you might go, hey, wait a minute. Same thing with the butt. It's not about a big butt. It's a prettier, perkier, uh, rejuvenated butt. But I got to tell you, man, it, it increases their income for sure when they do that stuff. I get people that get promotions, people that have been um, in bad marriages that they end up leaving. I had one time the husband was driving the wife and he says to her, 
if I drop you off and you get out of the car, I'm divorcing you. She goes, drop me off now because I'm walking to the place. And then they got divorced. I've had people that have been dating for seven years and then they end up getting married after it. Um, so we've had a lot of different uh, scenarios on, on how empowering this is. People that get raises because they start carrying themselves differently, talking differently. They feel like they can get jobs anywhere. I mean, it's just really, I mean, you should see how they walk. I mean, there's nothing more powerful than that small little waist and then that little booty that's proportionate. Incredibly powerful. What's the craziest story that you had to turn down? Somebody uh, came in and was just like totally out of their mind. Well, I don't know about turn down, but let me, here's a good crazy story. I had a, a pilot that came in one day and he right. comes in with his wife. And uh, so I thought, you know, that he was going to want life or something like that. And then they're sitting there and he says, uh, he, his wife says, listen, he likes to wear my clothes and he wants to fit in them a little bit better. So he wants to get boobs. So I said, oh, okay. So this is like a pilot. Uh, who wants boobs so boobs go in and then he wants to go bigger goes bigger and then he comes back and he says hey listen my grandkids are noticing my boobs i gotta go a little bit smaller now take them out <laughs> all right oh, as a grandkids God. yeah yeah that was probably the craziest yeah. that's insane yeah that was wild how big can i make my dick uh how about well listen you're at two right now yeah <laughs> yeah okay so you're at two so we'll probably go to three and a half yeah, I want to make it. I want it to be fat, chubby, and yeah. So you're at two from the floor, or from yeah, you're two. I want my penis to go in like an accordion. That yeah, that's see now that's expensive. You you need care credit on that. Yeah. But there is there is something as a microphallus, right? Yeah, a tiny yeah. And, and, yeah, there and is. you can fix that, or you can just uh, immediately. No, dude, that's uh, you know, when you're micro that, but there's different things like sometimes there's a hidden penis is what it's called. So you got to go find it. And what you got to do sometimes is they got so much fat around the penis that you can't see it. So you suction the fat. There's a ligament that keeps the penis and you can cut that ligament and then it stretches about another inch. In the old days, you'd have to put weights on it after you did the surgery. So you'd see this guy hanging around with weights around his penis. Uh, now we don't have to do that. But so you can usually increase the length by about one to one and a half. And then the girth can go up pretty good. But you don't want to have this thing that's white and boxing and it won't fit anywhere, right? <laughs> Depends on how big my girlfriend's vagina is. Yeah, yeah, or the garage. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you, like, yeah, if we came to you as a couple, would you say it's cheaper to increase the size of my penis or just make my wife's vagina a little bit tighter? Is that, <laughs> is that, the, is that the poor man's well, penis okay, job? So now, listen, you're bringing up a great topic, women's vagina. Let's go there for a minute. So you can do the Barbie makeover. Listen to what we do. Uh, we can tighten the vagina for sure, on women that have had multiple kids or whatever. Then we can inject fat into the clitoris. We can inject fat into the G-spot to help stimulation. We can inject fat into the labia majora because it tends to defat. And we can remove the labia minora, which is um, the little, it looks like a little gobbler of the, of, the, uh, of the chicken, you know what I'm talking about? That, that's called the labia minora. Where's the clitoris? The, where is it? <laughs> let him finish, let him finish, let him finish. Go yeah, yeah. So, um, so there's four different orgasms women can have. There's the obviously penetration orgasm, then there's a clitoral stimulation orgasm, then there's the G-spot stimulation, and there's the rectal uh, stimulation. So we work on three out of the four, which is pretty damn good. Yeah. My goodness. And, and, and what'll that run me? <laughs> <laughs> he wants a clitoris. Yeah, he wants a clitoris, yeah. 
I think I think my wife would be happy with any one of those four. <laughs> like, what's yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I know about the uh, I know about the male rectal orgasm because we have the prostate in there. But right. how how is it that a rectal penetration can give a woman an orgasm? I know the answer. Well, well Bob, what is it? Well, it's because the the anus has thousands of nerve endings in it, which oh, a lot wow. of people don't know about. Right. You know that, right? You I'm sure, you know, <laughs> exactly. No, you know what I mean? I, I looked that up yeah. a long time ago. It's true. Right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, they like anal, though. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's why people do it. Yeah, that's right. I thought I was alone there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you guys weren't saying shit. <laughs> You're a real character. Do you ever get to New York? Uh, I haven't been there. No, I love New York, man. I'd move there in a heartbeat. I love it. I, you I feel like I'm going to show in New York, man. What? Say it again. You're going to have me on the show in New York? Yeah, but I would love having the show. But I'd love to meet you in person. I have a feeling like, like alone, like not on the air. You'd have some amazing stories to tell. That, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, you're probably a, a great guy to, to hang out and have a drink with. We, we'd love to have you come down to the comedy store and hang out and, and you know, we can have you on the show again. And come see a show at the club, you and your whole family, if you want. Um, oh, God, I love it. Dude, there's like about 150 of them. I'm, I'm like Latin, man. So are you sure you want anybody in there? We'll pile up in a, in a Volkswagen and we'll all come over, man. I'm sure they'll be easy to spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got tits, all of them. A bunch of, a bunch Even of the men. <laughs> are you, uh, you were born in Nicaragua or you're born? Yeah, in so no, I was born in L.A., but my parents are from Nicaragua. So we moved there uh, when I was about five. And then I had to come back because the revolution hit. Uh, so wow. I was about 15. And then I just did all my studies here in the States. Incredible. Yeah, oh, here's a, do you think, has Donald Trump had any plastic surgery in your opinion? Uh, no, not yet, man. Not the way he looks, dude. <laughs> I look absolutely amazing. He doesn't even know that. <laughs> How about Hillary Clinton? She clearly had work done. Yeah, yeah she had balls removed. And her balls removed. <laughs> she had the penis enlarger, man. Yeah. <laughs> she she has that look. I mean, you you and I notice this. You think the wealthiest people in the world would avoid it, but they have this look around the eyes sometimes. Which to no, me I like, wonder if they had Botox done and not necessarily surgery, because nowadays we're become we're doing a lot of non-invasive stuff, you know, like these threads and fillers and Botox and lasers. I mean, medicine's really taken a, an interesting turn as to where it'll be in the next 15, 20 years, because we're doing less and less surgery and more non-invasive stuff. So, you know, we're trying to melt fat now externally. Uh, we're trying to tighten skin. There's new lasers that are coming out that remove little, little tiny pieces of skin, but it removes it. In, some, in such tiny little amounts, but a lot of it. So it shrinks the skin so you don't have to have a scar. That's coming down the pike. Uh, there's so many different things that are coming down the road. It'll be very interesting to see where my profession goes in 15, 20 years. My final question is, um, this is not about surgery, but you probably know about it. If you don't want to have surgery and you're getting older and you get wrinkles and stuff like that, what is the, what is the best uh, regimen that somebody should be do, using to take care of this skin? Get rich, man. That way you don't have to worry how you look. But, um, let me see. Uh, what is the best thing? I would probably say um, there's new PRP fillers, and I would say fillers and PRP and laser. But that that the downtime on those things is not that bad. It's not that painful. It's pretty quick. But fillers are revolutionizing how people do. The other thing is fat. I take fat and I inject it and, and make you younger that way. 
So I would say that way, probably doing the threads. I mean, these are all non-invasive things that don't take that long. Very quick. Yeah. All right, well, Doctor, you're a fantastic guest. Anybody have any final questions? Bob, you want to ask him a question as Donald Trump to just tie his whole thing together? How do I make my wife Melania speak English? <laughs> <laughs> Let me enlarge your penis and you'll see what happens. <laughs> Great idea. Thanks. Great man. Tremendous man. Tremendous man. I love it. You guys are hysterical. Well, man. he's a he's a he's a Latino from Florida. He might be a Trump supporter. We don't know. But uh, yeah. I know that they were because also because Nicaragua was a was a communist country, wasn't it? Yeah, it was actually right now. I think they're imprisoning everybody that wants to run against the the, the current so, president. So I'm like, so we're not we're not going to get into your politics, but it's possible that he's well, a definitely a capitalist. God bless him. That's for sure. And, and we, we admire that on this show. <laughs> I love it. I actually, actually, I actually mean that totally sincerely. I, I, you know, it's like, you're like, I, well, I, I, I can charge as much as I can get. Right. That's, that's, right, and, that's exactly and I right. think that's yeah. people, like, it's, it's perfectly fine. People, people don't understand. Of course, that's the way it is. You charge where you can get. You right. Know? No, no, that's absolutely true. That's why you find a wide variation in prices in plastic surgeon, just because you're more expensive doesn't necessarily mean you're better. You know what I mean? Of course I charge what I can get. You could charge yeah. so much more for those like well, short short term, but there's also but there's that there's more than just the initial right. transaction. You right. have a long term uh, uh, reputation okay. thing. Right? You know, which right. is which is why my the Kindle version of my book is only four ninety nine. Because <laughs> I want to. You should read it. You should and read that's it. in pesos. We'll send man. you one. We'll send you one. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we can say good night, Dan. You want you want to sign off? Uh, okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, uh, Dr. Mendieta, for joining us from. Uh, Miami, Florida, the great, great city, by the way. I love Miami. Haven't been there in a while. Miami. Bob DeBono, uh, the Trump uh, Trump impersonator extraordinary and, and comic uh, extraordinary. And uh, thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time on Live from the Table. Bye-bye. <laughs>